Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I know a lot of times people feel shame or discomfort in talking about slavery and the Civil War and Juneteenth, but it's not something that we should shy away from. You know, imagine that you are going home and there are no portraits of you in your house. So everyone is there, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your spouse, your kids, but you are not there, right? That would be very uncomfortable, confusing, upsetting. And the Juneteenth Legacy Project is here to restore those pictures onto the wall within American history. Um, Not take pictures down, not remove anything, but to add that missing information so that we have a full history and a full narrative of our full American experience and not just the pieces that make us comfortable. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. And happy Juneteenth. The voice you just heard was Torn Collins. She's the daughter of historian Sam Collins, a.k.a. Professor Juneteenth. Their family created the Juneteenth Legacy Project in Galveston, Texas. And earlier this week, Torn gave me and one of our producers a tour of the historic site where the Union Army arrived on June 19th, 1865, at the far western edge of the former Confederacy. They came to deliver the news of the Emancipation Proclamation. Later in this hour, I'll bring you along for a tour of that historic site as well, because we come to you this week from the studios of Houston Public Media, our partners in the second annual Notes from America Juneteenth celebration. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. We're going to go on that tour. We'll hear some live music, and we will take your calls as we learn the history of this holiday. Joining me for all of this is Zion Escobar. Zion is a historic preservationist and executive director of the Houston Freedmanstown's Conservancy. She puts it, Freedman, excuse me, Freedmanstown is the first city established by the last Black Americans to seize emancipation from America's chattel slavery system. So she's going to tell us that story. Zion, happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth to you, Kai. How are you? I am fabulous. So the story of Freedmanstown is fascinating, and it's honestly a great way to learn the history of Juneteenth generally, given that, you know, it is still a new holiday for many people outside of Texas. So let's start at the beginning. June 19, 1865, the Union Army arrives in Galveston Bay. General Gordon Granger, uh, am I getting right? General Gordon Granger Mm -hmm. delivers his order. What does General Granger tell people? He says many things to the to the effect that says you are free, that you have absolute equality, and that you now can go forth 
You can choose to stay on the plantation, enter into an employee-employer relationship. Slightly ironic, but that is what is stated. (laughs) Or you can free yourselves. You can move beyond the plantation, um, but you cannot idle because that is illegal Mm. to to idle. Although you don't have anywhere to go technically and you don't even know where you are. I've heard you describe it as as much a threat as anything else. Right. You you can't stay here. You got to go somewhere, but don't let me catch you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, and, and, and that sounds a bit antagonistic, um, but that's really the duality of the interpretation when you can read through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what it did was it marked the beginning of people who were born free because they are human, but born into a system of enslavement, being able to be released from that system of oppression legally is is kind of what he essentially announced here. Um, Mind you, you know, many people say, and I I don't take pleasure in poking the bear here, but many people say, oh, Texas got the news late. They did not get the news late. You do not have to send thousands of colored troops who left plantations to join a Union army to defeat, you know, Lee's Confederate soldiers to take freedom by force. That is what happened on that day. That is when things precipitated. It was the trigger that says the war is over. You can now go home. You can find home. You can find life. You can find freedom. This is a, a lost fact often. This was an occupying army showing up. The point is the Confederacy did not just walk away because the war, war was over. The, our Union Army had to come and claim the territory. Uh, now, among the people present in Galveston that day were some of the people who would create Freedomstown, Freedmanstown here in Houston, right? How did they react to the news of the Emancipation Proclamation? So um, my understanding, and again, I am not a historian, all right. Disclaimer for my <laughs> highly qualified, very well sought after, sought after historians out there. I am not a historian, but the lore, the story, the generations of griots who mm-hmm. carried this history on for us say that folks were screaming. They were rejoicing, saying, we, we, we get to go. We're gone. Some people didn't even wait for the news to finish being communicated and took off the minute they heard the rumor. Right. So people were jubilant. They were celebratory. But some people were absolutely terrified. If you think about what it's like to be in a place that you don't necessarily know, but used to be Mexico is now Texas and is now becoming part of a thing called the United States. You don't even know where you are. You can't read. You can't write. You've probably never been somewhere beyond the plantation. And to told that you are free to go into the wild and you must find somewhere to not be recaptured, claimed, or killed, because you know that is an agenda, right? And now you get to make a life and you have to take everyone with you. You know, that is terrifying, That's someone pushing you out in the cold Mm -hmm. and saying you have to commit to the bravery of making freedom for yourself. But it's liberating in that this is where freedom-making movements are inspired by. Mm -hmm. There are many movements throughout the history of Houston, um, excuse me, not Houston, of America, all throughout the country, all throughout the region, and the Americas even. But it's that terrifying and exhilarating moment of what do I do with my life now that it is my own to determine? Right, right. And so they set about creating their own freedom. And listeners, as Zion and I talk through this history, we want to hear from you on this idea of creating your own freedom. 
I am particularly interested in Black Americans right now. How have you claimed and created your own freedom? What does that idea even mean to you, to, to claim and create your own freedom? And is it something that you were taught? If so, by who? How? So some of those folks who are claiming their own freedom, they set out for Houston. Yes, and so. Why Houston? What drew them here? So if you look at a map... And you think of Houston, you think of Galveston, you look at those two points on a map. No matter where you are in America, you've probably heard of Galveston. You know, because of Beyonce, we know you've heard of Houston and you've seen it on a map. (laughs) And thank you, uh, blessed Beyonce. Okay. And so you think about folks who this news is coming to Galveston. That information is traveling and spreading now that people say it is confirmed you are free, meaning Mm -hmm. you can leave and not be killed instantly, right? You have a chance at freedom. Those folks started migrating from all of these green spaces, the lands, Pearland, Sugarland, you know, Brazoria County, all of these green regions between Galveston and Houston started leaving all those plantations to go to areas where they could find work Mm -hmm. because everyone understands that a man, a woman, a child cannot subsist without something to labor to be able to receive compensation now that that is an offer on the table. And you're not allowed to remain idle. You cannot remain idle. So I must go find work immediately. Where do I do that? Where is the commerce? In Houston, as it is today, has been that center and that beacon of commerce and that opportunity. So they move from one port to kind of an interior um, shipping port. Houston has always been burgeoning in that way. They made that journey 51 plus miles, meandering through many, many different paths to come to Freedmanstown. On foot? On foot, on by by boat, even, mm-hmm. um, and so there's there was a lot of uh, waterway travel. There's mm-hmm. all these tributaries and things like that. That that's how people were traveling wow. in secret, even before emancipation, and those become paths of travel. There's every every medium of travel. And again, these things are in secret. So finding documentation that is precise mm-hmm. is, is challenging. And there are actually researchers rigorously doing that work mm-hmm. right now with mm-hmm. the National Park Service um, via the Emancipation National Historic Trail, which will ca- quantify this for all of America, this journey and the specifics of what it is you're, you're actually saying. So I'll save it for that. But these folks are moving up to Freedmanstown. These People are saying, where can I go to be free, to make a life of my own without fear or threat? That came to Freedmanstown, which was a swampy, malaria-infested space along Buffalo Bayou. Again, these waterways. Wait, wait, wait. Set, give us yes. a little more setting here for people who aren't from right. Houston. Okay, so it's a swampy space. Mm-hmm. Is that like, where? where is that now? Okay, so um, downtown Houston. If you've come to downtown Houston, you've seen the big, tall buildings and things like that. There's a waterway that runs through um, the area. It's called Buffalo Bayou. And it actually is the northern boundary of what present-day Freedmanstown is. And in fact, where our current city hall is, that used to be Freedmanstown wow. as well. I-45 that people drive through nationally, that bisected Freedmanstown. Um, so Freedmanstown started on the banks of Buffalo Bayou in tents and, and shanties and things like that. Even churches were started on in brush arbors on Buffalo Bayou. There's still pictures today in the Houston Public Library's archives of people being baptized having revivals on those same banks of Buffalo Bayou. Those trees and vegetation built the homes, the churches, the businesses that became this Black Wall Street, that became Houston's 
black mother ward. It was the first black settlement in Houston. There were others that spread out, but mm-hmm. it was 95% of black Houston lived in Freedmanstown, right close to downtown. People call it Midtown near Houston, uh, downtown Houston. And what was it about that spot? Quickly, we're going to have to take a break yes. in a minute, but why that spot? What was it? Well, so uh, it was an area that, that folks said, we don't want that because it's malaria infested, it's unkempt, and it's, it's, a, it's a bank of a bayou. We can't mm-hmm. do anything with it. You, y'all can have it. Right. We did what we always do, and we made something out of what looked like absolutely nothing. Mm. And now it is so cherished that the struggle ensues to keep and to protect and preserve it. Mm. We got to take a break. This is a special Juneteenth edition of Notes from America coming to you from the studios of our partners at Houston Public Media. I'm talking with Zion Escobar, executive director of the Houston Freedmanstown Conservancy. And when we come back, I want to hear from you. I am particularly interested in hearing from Black Americans right now. Zion is telling us how the people who first celebrated Juneteenth created their own emancipation. What does that idea mean to you? How have you claimed and created your own freedom? And is it something you were taught to do? If so, by who and how? We'll take your calls after a break, and we'll take a tour of the site in Galveston, Texas, where the Union Army arrived on June 19, 1865, to deliver the news of the Emancipation Proclamation to Texas. Stay with us. Hey everyone, it's Kusha. I'm a producer. Longtime listeners know that one of our favorite parts of this show is talking to you, having you a part of the conversation. So while we celebrate Juneteenth, I want to invite you to celebrate with us. Here's how. If you've heard anything during today's show that you want to respond to, send us a voicemail and tell us what's on your mind. You can send a voicemail by visiting our website. It's notesfromamerica.org. Scroll a little down the page and click on the green button that says record. Now, we also want to hear how you're celebrating Juneteenth. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, post a picture of you celebrating and tag us. Our handle is at noteswithkai. However you celebrate, we hope you have a safe and happy holiday. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Today, what we'll do is we'll retrace the steps of Gordon Granger and the Union troops. We're at the first stop on our Freedom Walk tour. Of course, this is not going to be an exact replica because the layout, the city is developed very differently. And for example, where you see the warehouses here, the water line actually went up to there. So it looks very different. Oh, well, so that was the, we're standing in the We're standing in, yeah, basically. So (laughs) there would not have been this Starbucks, Jimmy John's, and those warehouses are actually where they kept slaves. So this is our Middle Passage marker where General Gordon Granger and the Union troops would have arrived. One thing that a lot of people don't know is almost three out of four of those Union troops were colored troops, what they call United States colored troops at the time. So try to visualize, you know, this is a Confederate state and you have these black soldiers coming here because they have to spread this notice of freedom throughout the state. There's an interesting story that my father likes to share. Um, My great-grandmother's friend, her family passed down the story of the black soldiers coming to freedom. 
she made it a point to say, you know, it wasn't a sheet of paper, it was the black soldiers that freed us. So I think that emotional connection to having these formerly enslaved people receive this message from black soldiers is, you know, very important. I'm an eighth generation Texan, so my family goes back to, we know, 1837. We actually know where the first free man in our family was born. My dad, Professor Juneteenth, he has been grilling his children on Juneteenth since we were children. <laughs> um, making sure that we know about Juneteenth and we tell the story, we don't shy away from it. It's truly incredible. Uh, the second stop on our Freedom Walk tour is the Absolute Equality Mural which is at the corner of 22nd and Strand in Galveston. We're gonna start from left to right. So in the top left corner, you have a map of the transatlantic slave trade, and then you have the arrival of Esteban Nico, and then you have resistance with Harriet Tubman and all of those figures who fought for abolition. And then we have, of course, the great emancipator, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, behind him stands those United States colored troops that we mentioned before. You know, a lot of times we talk about people in terms of like victimhood. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about how people fought for, how we fought for our own, you know, mm -hmm. freedom and we fought for equality and how we also paid with our lives for freedom. Absolutely. So we have the uh, portraits of those soldiers. And then the last we have uh, Miss Opal Lee. So Opal Lee did her walk to D.C. to campaign for Juneteenth to be a national holiday, which we successfully achieved in 2021. Um, so her portrait is to the far right. And right above her, we have the astronaut looking forward, which represents the future. And it is really to question, you know, what do we want our future to look like? What ideals do we want to carry? And of course, we want that to be truth and equality. So we don't want to necessarily shy away. I know a lot of times people feel shame or you know discomfort in talking about things like slavery and the Civil War and Juneteenth. But it's not something that we should you know shy away from. It's important that we empower ourselves and we carry this message of freedom forward. Welcome back, I'm Kai Wright, and this is a special Juneteenth edition of Notes from America, coming to you from the studios of our partners at Houston Public Media. And that was Torin Collins of the Juneteenth Legacy Project in Galveston, Texas. She welcomed us to town last week with a tour of the site where this holiday began on June 19th, 1865. Right now, I'm still joined in the studio by Zion Escobar, Executive Director of the Houston Freedmanstown Conservancy and Zion, before the break, you were telling us about the ways in which uh, the Black people who founded Freedman Town took this space that was not wanted by white folks and turned it into something prosperous. How'd they do that? Where were they getting resources? What, where did the prosperity come from? Thank you for asking that, because I think this, this is actually one of the most clearly um, distinct points that should remind every American why Juneteenth is an American holiday. Mm -hmm. Because the life that folks made in Freedmanstown was made possible in collaboration with folks who were abolitionists, with the Methodist Church who actually put resources and helped um, these 
Africans who were now Americans to um, establish their liberation, establish churches. They even gave them space in their churches to build their own churches, mm. um, help them build schools, um, help them with resources for materials. Um, folks who built houses and did work with them and alongside them. So Freedmanstown has a pluralist history, and many people don't know that. You would mm. think that it's the oldest black community in Houston, and it's you know it's blackly black black, but as we know, in a country where you are a minority, you do nothing in a silo, truthfully. You know, even when you respond to something, you're responding to something that is outside of yourself, right? And so in Freedmanstown, the response to liberation, the response to the opportunity to do freedom making was done with Jewish people, were done with Irish and Italian settlers, some of those who had come from Louisiana. People don't know that there were Irish enslaved and indentured servants in Louisiana who, Mm. when this emancipation happened for Africans, it happened for anyone who was considered an other. If you were Catholic, if you were Jewish, if you were Prussian, um, you came to Freedmanstown ultimately because you were not welcomed in other places in Houston. Other is other. And it's where you started to see kind of that caste system of you may not be a slave, but you are not as important as me in your humanity. Humanity still being on a spectrum at that point, right? And so Freedman's Town was a place where you can clearly articulate that even as we celebrate freedom, to what extent, mm-hmm. for who, and what does it look like? Every spectrum of black and brown experienced some some form of um, degradation in a way. But I love this idea that it is a pluralist history, mm-hmm. that this was, it's what we, it sounds like what we would nowadays call mutual aid mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. create Freedman's Town. Let's go to some calls here. We've got a lot of folks who want to join the conversation. Uh, let's start with Kevin Smith in Houston. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having the show. It's so interesting to hear. I just left Galveston, the very site that you were talking about, the mural, and I had a great time and would encourage everyone please, if you don't go this year, get down there the rest of the year and certainly on Juneteenth. It was fantastic. And and for yourself, how have you lived into this history of creating your own freedom, Kevin? Well, I am uh, a pretty unique case. I'm an ear, nose, and throat surgeon and facial plastic surgeon. So I do um, sinus surgery and uh, actually a discovered the cure for migraine headaches as a result of doing this for 30 years. Okay. And I've done it in a way. I'm my own solo practitioner. I uh, am a black doctor. However, uh, I was the first black resident at the University of Texas Medical School in Houston to go through the ENT program and also the first black fellow to get accepted at the McCullough Clinic in Birmingham, Alabama, to do my facial plastic surgery. Okay. So there have been steps along the way that I've had to take, despite not seeing very many of uh, us in those fields. Uh, Actually thought about maybe not even going into plastic surgery, thinking I might not be helping people, but I help so many people now, and I'm so happy that I forged my path. I had a lot of help on the way. (laughs) However, I have patients of all races, creeds, and colors that come to see me from all over the country and even internationally, they all love the way that I treat them. And Kevin, I'm going to stop you there just for time because we got a lot of callers, but thank you. That's a good start. (laughs) Um, Let's go to Lola in Philadelphia. Lola, welcome to the show. 
Yes. Hi. Thank you for having this very interesting call. I mean, this very interesting talk. Can you hear me? We can. How, how, how have you gone about creating your own freedom, Lola? Well, I've gone by um, listening to my uh, great grand, my grandparents and great grandparents who were in Galveston and went um, went over to North Carolina and then migrated up to um, the north. And then actually, once they were able to settle and get everybody together, um, some of them went back down to Texas. And I have been to Galveston. How I forged my path is I'm in law and um, ho- you know helping um, to try to stop racism, try to change some of the laws that have uh, affected uh, black people. My way is going through the law because I believe voting um, and getting your voice heard um, on the local level um, is the best way that we can help blacks. And so that's what, that's what I have been trying to do um, to forge my freedom for myself, my family and my children. Through voting. Thank you for that. Lola, let's go to James who is in route to Galveston and James, I hope you have pulled over by now. Uh, Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so very much for having me. Uh, yes, uh, my family, is the, the Thomas family, we were descendants on Juneteenth. We were slaves to Mike Minard, who founded Galveston. Mm. And my father was instrumental with uh, Al Edwards in getting uh, Juneteenth a state holiday in 1979. Wow. So I am con- I'm connected in that, that direction, and I know Zion. Zion and I talked before. Uh, <laughs> Yes. But we celebrate Juneteenth by going back into the community, educating, promoting, and having individuals know their history so okay. they can be better and go back to their community and train and teach others. That's what my father was all about, and that's what, that's what my family is all about. We have an annual pilgrimage to, from the Menard House, where they were slaves, to Ashton Villa when the order was read. In fact, I'm going down there now to present an award in my father's name on tomorrow on Juneteenth, as we do every year to acknowledge this special occasion. Well, thank you so much, James. That is a, so Zion. That's a great uh, uh, roundup there of at least our first three callers. What you want to react to anything you heard? All of it, actually. One, a shout out to Mr. Thomas. Um, your story and, and your connection to the Galveston story really inspired me to dig deeper into my own family legacy. So thank you for spreading the word and continuing to encourage others to do that in the region and for everything your family did. Um, and also helping me understand the context well, through a person, an actual human being, mm-hmm. whose family is the articulation of this. Um, for the first two callers, I think it's beautiful that we have um, a doctor and a surgeon, and then we have a law practitioner, because again, Freedmanstown had those first black doctors and lawyers, first black hospitals and and, and the like. And so it's like, you got to think about how, again, these stories are all intrinsically connected. You couldn't go to a school to become educated as such without those first being had in the first couple of years after emancipation. Mm -hmm. So again, Freedmanstown and and Juneteenth kind of births out even our first two callers. So Freedman's Down today, it still exists, it's still mm-hmm. a place. Um, we'll get into some of the questions about the preservation, but uh, how would you describe it today? Like, who lives there? What's it like economically, culturally? So it's very different than uh, than its intention and its, its founding. Um, today, demographic-wise, it's um, about 65% white. Mm. Um, it's about um, 13%-ish um, black, there's Hispanic, there's Asian population. And so it has some diversity. 
um, but it's not quite the diversity it had at the very beginning. Mm. What I will share with people is, um, you know, Freedmanstown today shares the same zip code with River Oaks in Houston. And people nationally don't know what River Oaks is, but if you Google it, it's one of the wealthiest enclaves in Houston. And so Freedmanstown's infrastructure is, you know, degraded. It's, it's housing stock has changed massively. It looks very different. It is a visualization of gentrification in some ways. However, the beauty and the inspiration that I draw from this place and why I continue to do what I do and wake up every morning and show up for myself, for my ancestors, and for freedom is because there are over 50 assets left, the most anywhere in the United States. Everywhere else, you can go and see a marker. <laughs> just, just to make sure people, that doesn't go. So I, because I just learned this today, there mm-hmm. were 568 historic sites Mm -hmm. in Freedmanstown Mm -hmm. of this history we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Now there's about 50. That is, that is accurate. Yes. And there's um, seven UNESCO sites of memory that I encourage everyone to kind of Google that as well um, in this space. And um, so in my lifetime, since 1984, when it became a National Register um, Historic District, um, it's gone from that 560-ish number down to 50 or less. And so that's what the urgency is to protect this story before it is completely erased. Because in one generation, we could just as well not know it was there. <sighs> and what you see on one side of I-45 in downtown Houston with the tall skyscrapers, you would see on the other side and not know that there was historic um, spaces and places here. Let's try to squeeze in at least one more call, maybe two before break. Uh, let's go to Anne, also here in Houston. Anne, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, this is Anne Rosenwinkel. I'm an architect here in Houston, and I um, I have looked at the history of Fourth Ward, cause I, or, yeah, Freedmanstown, because I'm doing some work there. And I had heard rumor that the original um, uh, freed um, Africans there were... Um, were actually working there uh, and and gardening for the rest of the city, providing fruits and vegetables, mm. and that that was part of why that land was given. Is there any merit to that story? Quickly, see if you can answer that first. I actually have heard uh, rumors, and I have uh, property owners who have photos even that said that um, there was an enslaved population, and there there were actually even free people um, in the area before um, before emancipation. Got it. Let's go to Curtis in Mission Den, Houston. Curtis, welcome to the show, and, and keep it tight for me, because i got to get to a break. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm Curtis Davis. I'm an architect and urban planner. Hi, Zion. Hi. Um, this is the Zion Freedom. Freedom. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Your question about freedom is great. It, it prompted me to realize that really freedom has a different perspective for different Americans, those who were emancipated um, freedom came at the point of a gun. And there are those now who are constitutional carry supporters, and freedom means the ability to carry a gun mm. for defense against whatever they feel they need to be defended against. And that difference in perspective is quite profound. As an African-American, um, our freedom is often referred to in terms of our ability to realize our potential and oftentimes, and you've had it spoken to today, where people are the first in this, or the only in that, or one of a few of those. And, and I'd like for us to begin a dialogue to open up the conversation about our freedoms and the responsibility that goes along with it, 
so mm-hmm. that we as Americans can recognize that um, freedom means a lot of things to different Americans, and we need to support each other in a positive way to strengthen the country and unify it. That's a powerful idea. Thank you, Curtis. Uh, about 30 seconds, the recognizing our freedoms. Yes, yes. Recognizing our freedoms, I think that Juneteenth should take um, take us all to a space of reflection and clarity on what it is we are morally charged with doing now that we know better. How shall we do better? How and to decide upon that. Okay. All right, we got to take a break. Coming up, we're going to think about Juneteenth in the context of the Black diaspora through music. We'll be joined by Houston-based vocalist Lolade. She's a Nigerian-American songwriter who's melding the sounds of African and African-American musical traditions. She's going to perform a couple songs for us, and we're going to take more of your calls, and we are going to get into all of the different kinds of freedoms that many of us carry Uh, from Vietnamese communities to Black American communities to all the the wonderful, diverse number of communities that exist here in Houston. This is a special Juneteenth broadcast of Notes from America. Stay with us. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. (laughs) Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Kai Wright, and this is a special Juneteenth edition of Notes from America, coming to you from the studios of our partners at Houston Public Media. We're going to turn now to think about this holiday in the context of the Black diaspora. And let's begin the conversation with some music. Houston-based vocalist Lolare is here in the studio with us. She's a Nigerian-American songwriter and music educator. In a moment, we're going to learn her story and about her work bringing together the sound of the Black diaspora. But first, she offers us an invocation in Yoruba. Here's Lolare. Eledami modi emu Modi emu Eledami modi emu Mi o gboro jabo Eledami modi emu Modi emu Eledami modi Papa modupe o modupe o re ni baba modupe o motundupe o re ola o baba modupe o baba modupe o baba modupe o 
Bamba mon dukba Bamba mon dukba Bimo baji lo wuro kutu kutu Mandori mi mu baba Moshori reo eleda mi Bimo baji lo wuro kutu kutu Mandori mi mu baba Moshori reo eledami mudukbeo Moshori reo eledami mudukbeo Moshori reo eledami mudukbeo Wow. I'm a little choked up if I'm honest. Um... That's Houston-based vocalist Lolare with a Yoruba invocation. Uh, and what a wonderful and beautiful way to begin this conversation. Um, I'm going to let Lolare get herself set here. Uh, you, you really, I'm just quite moved. Thank, <laughs> um, Thank God. Well, first off, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, tell, us, tell us about what we've just heard. I gather it's something you often use to bring people in, into a space. Yes, I love to start off any set of music that I'm doing with that song. It is, um, it is a prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, uh, gratefulness. Um, the words um, are saying that I'm giving thanks for yesterday, for today, for tomorrow, that I'm holding on to God because uh, He won't let me fall and just you know, praise and thanks to God. So really is an invocation. <laughs> How wonderful. Yeah. So a, a big part of the work you're doing is to both preserve and bring together African and African-American music. And I think your own life story and journey as an artist really offers a useful and concrete way to get into the conversation about that and what it means and why. Uh, the stages of your, your life and career have been kind of like building blocks, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, your family came to the United States from Nigeria when you were nine years old, I believe. I was uh, eight. Eight years old, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and as part of a, a, a white Christian community's missionary work, is that right? What that's right. That's right. My sister, my oldest sister, um, was in a really bad fire accident. Um, and my dad got in touch with some missionaries um, in his hometown who helped her and us to come here for her to get some, some uh, medical treatment um, for her burns. So that's how we ended up here, through white Christian missionary mm -hmm. work. Yeah. And um, we we landed in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the, in the Midwest, and, you know, stayed in their home, um, you know, went to a primarily a white church, a Southern Baptist church. And my first few years were very much, you know, the only black face in the crowd, mm -hmm. <laughs> the only black family. Um, so that was, you know, culture shock. Talk about culture shock coming mm -hmm. From yeah. Nigeria. Yeah. And so that imprinted on you in one way. Um, and then you went to college at Wilberforce. You leave that environment, go to this historically black college. Yes. Um, and, um, and you joined the choir there. What, what happened for you there? Yes. Shout out to Wilberforce, WU, the old WU. Um, <laughs> the first um, actually uh, historically black college and university that was founded by African-Americans for African-Americans. So there's some debate out there about who's first to be, you know, different measures. We're not going to get into know, that here on those three um, <laughs> Wilberforce was uh, just um, 
such an amazing experience for me. Tiny, tiny little school in the middle of cornfields in Xenia, Ohio. And, um, you know, there's such, it's, there's so much history there on campus, um, founded by the, um, African Methodist Episcopal Church. Some members that, uh, founded that church, Richard Allen. Um, so musically is how I really got to experience that history. I was in concert choir and gospel choir. The history learned, of black American music. Exactly. Exactly. Um, learned all about spirituals and, um, you know, those calls and, and, and gospel music and uh, was just immersed in that black musical, um, history. So that exposed me to a kind of like mm-hmm. a whole new world, mm. right? And taught me about the connections even between that and African music and the people that were coming over here, you know, throughout history from places like Nigeria and Ghana to learn from Black Americans, you know, Black American musical style. And same in reverse, some of the, um, you know, the Nina Simones and uh, people that traveled over there to, you know, get some of that mm-hmm. African style of music. So... That was such a life-changing experience Mm -hmm. for me. So you had had this initial experience in a fairly white community, um, culture shock in the United States. Then you went and learned about black music uh, at Wilberforce. You moved to Philadelphia, delved into neo-soul and everything that is Philadelphia before finally coming here to Houston uh, and uh, plugging into Little Lagos and (laughs) rediscovering your Nigerian roots. Tell me about that that moment of it, um, this sort of reconnection with, with Nigerian music. Yeah. So, um, thanks to my, my beautiful mother, you know, um, may she rest in peace. She passed a few years ago. Um, she always spoke the language, my language Yoruba to us growing up. So even though I came here when I was very young, some of my peers don't speak anymore. I still retain the language. And um, I reconnected with that coming back to Houston and being just being in this just huge Nigerian population. I mean, Southwest Houston is <laughs> is Little Lagos, as you mentioned, um, and then going into the musical um, community here really like, you know, allowed me to reconnect with you know, Afrobeats in a way, uh, the original Afrobeat, Falakuti stylings, mm-hmm. um, the current Afrobeats and just the blow up of that over the last couple of years. I incorporated that now into my music. So I, I create this, this blend that, um, I think people often f- find hard to, to, to qualify or to describe, but it really is just a combination of everywhere I've lived. Um, and all my experiences. And so why is that? I mean, what what does it mean for you to bring all these cultures together in your music? And, and why is that such a compelling project for you, this, this bringing these cultures together in one sound? Yeah, you know, I used to look at um, not feeling completely at home in any of these circles that I exist in as a weakness and as something that I had to work through. But, you know, I I came to now utilize it as kind of my superpower, right? Because it allows me to communicate um, across cultures, right? So I'm going to be the Nigerian that maybe an African-American has never come across that, you know, maybe they've had bad experiences with Nigerians and I'm going to be that one, you know, that represents something, you know, something else to them. I'm also going to be the African-American or the person with, you know, that um, 
history or that at least that time here, not really history, but that time spent in this country to a Nigerian that may have some stereotypes or some, you know, negative experiences. I'm going to be that person that is um, can exist in all of those circles. And I want to be, you know, a positive influence wherever wherever I am. So I look at that as something that I'm able to do. And it's a responsibility, right? right? Not right. just through music, but just in the way that I represent, you know, these different cultures. Right. And just to, to to linger on that for one minute, the, the implication there is something that maybe a lot of folks don't think out think about outside of the, either of these communities, but that um, there is not a presumed unity. Um, and you know, here's the city of Houston is is an example of a place where it's there's so much diversity mm-hmm. of blackness. Um, but it's not necessarily uh, all one community. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always say Houston is, you know, it's such a big place. Houston is an hour away from Houston, right? That's what <laughs> that's what we hear. <laughs> so it's such a vast, you know, geographical space, but there's so many different kinds of people here. It's It's a very international city. Oftentimes we find that people tend to stay in their little pockets, right? You don't often see... Uh, people traveling across town, somebody in, you know, A-Leaf might not go all the way to Third Ward or, you know, might not go up north. Um, so it feels a little fragmented sometimes to me in that way. Um, and I just, I wish there was more commingling of cultures. Oh. I'm speaking from the, you know, musical community. I see that a lot, like, yeah, yeah in musical gatherings. Bringing it back to the context of Juneteenth, Zion, you were talking about, you know, the history of Freedmanstown is one of pluralism. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, you know, to both of you, I've spent the past week in Houston. This is a truly exciting place, Mm -hmm. right? There there are so many varied communities um, creating and melding. And part of me is like this, this is it. This is what, if we want to ask the right questions about the future of the United States, this is where it is. This is where we can ask those questions. Um, You know, but at the, and, and about living together in a plural society, but then, how do these communities relate to one another? And Juneteenth, I think, is a good example or a good place for us to think about that. You know, I mean, is this, is it only a Black thing in town or do other communities join in? So I would say that in years past, when Juneteenth was a state holiday, and thank you, um, Representative Al Edwards, um, may he rest in peace, for giving us that blessing, which led to the occasion we're discussing now, a national holiday. But now that it's a national holiday and folks who don't look like us got a day off, they had to say, I don't know if I want to say thank you or ask questions as to why or if I should. I'm not going to fight against it. So, okay, let me just say yes and find out later. I say all that to say Juneteenth is becoming year over year more and more connected more collaborative in conversations like this where you bring the African and African-American together for people to remember our connection to each other, um, that our stories are 100% aligned, um, that people who are not either African or African-American, but these white Methodists, you know, I did not know that part of your history, but that is literally how Freedmanstown, uh, many portions of Freedmanstown came into being, is collaborators, allies, 
like that. And so I think that as we start to uncover our story, if we do our duty right with educating people on the true and the full story of Juneteenth, everyone will start to see that this is an incredible theatrical uh, play in in some ways. Mm -hmm. And we are all the main character in the story. Everyone is giving main character energy. And when we do that, we'll have gotten this the intention of this holiday right. Well, because, you know, I mean, so we're talking about it in the context of Houston, in the context mm-hmm. of Texas. But for the rest of the most of the rest of the country, this now national holiday is a new thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of people saying, well, how do I relate to this? How do I step into this? Lalade, do you see that happening? This the what Zion is talking about in terms of particularly in African communities, folks stepping into Juneteenth thing and finding how it relates to them. Do you see any of that? Yeah, I think it's you know we're we're talking just a year old. You know, it becoming a federal holiday, right? So it's very slow. Um, some people don't even know about it. You know, they don't know what it is. I jumped on um, Instagram Live yesterday and was having some conversations. And, you know, you'll find that a lot of Africans don't, they're not even aware of it. But there are some great um, organizations here within Houston that I'm associated with that are really doing that work um, the, to educate you know, the African community or other immigrant communities about it, because it is, like you said, Zion, our our histories are so parallel and they're so aligned. We just, we often, Africans, I'll speak for Africans, we often don't think about it that way. But um, yes, there there are organizations that are starting to um, mention a few said institute is one, Pan-African Library. Um, A friend of mine, Lindsay, she has a re-education project, so it's starting. I, so I, our YouTube fi- uh, viewers are telling us, shut up and let Lilate sing. Uh, <laughs> so um, so we're going to do that because we got to wrap up. I sing better than I talk. You're going you're gonna to sing us out. Um, so I'll let you go get in position for that. And Zion, while Lilate is getting over there, very quick closing thoughts. What do you want to leave listeners with for Juneteenth? For Juneteenth, I want to encourage and inspire everyone that as you celebrate, understand that what you are celebrating is not news coming to Texas late. What you are celebrating is the end of a military incursion that was bent on keeping people enslaved. We are celebrating liberation of minds, hearts, and the ensuing um, restoration, the growth, the economic um, tidal wave that came with people being free. The the liberation of minds and hearts. Zion Escobar is executive director of Houston Freedmanstown Conservancy. Thank you so much, Zion. This has been a special Juneteenth broadcast of Notes from America coming to you from the studios of our wonderful partners in Houston Public Media. I'm Kai Wright. Lolade is a Houston-based singer and songwriter. She's going to be hosting a live concert series coming up this fall. Find out more about her at lolademusic.com or on social media at lolade. That's L-O-L-A-D-E. And okay, Lolade, you're going to take us out, quickly set up what you're going to sing, and, and have at it. All right, this is an original song of mine called Dreams, and it's just really a song about following your passions and following your heart.
go back to the place you began. Oh, 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 oh. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Theme music and sound design by Jared Paul. Matthew Miranda was our live engineer humongous thanks to our partners at Houston Public Media this week. There are way too many individuals to name, which is always a good sign. You guys are incredible hosts, Houston. Reporting, editing, and producing by Billy Estreen, Karen Frillman, Regina Dehir, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. Andre Robert Lee is our executive producer, and I am Kai Wright. Happy June I'm not gonna die